Well, good morning. What a joy to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. It's been a good time of worship and praise. And I'm thankful that we have the living word of God to guide and teach us this morning. You know, a number of years ago in 1990, during the summer, I had the privilege of going to Manila in the Philippines to be part of a global conference with what was then called Campus Crusade for Christ. And during the whole summer, we were involved in training and Bible study and teaching with the goal of evangelizing this whole city, but also to be training delegates from over 100 countries on how to accelerate the work of the gospel around the world. And on a few of those uh, days, a few occasions during that summer, we were able to gather together for a time of prayer and praise. And so several thousand people would file into a convention center to participate in these days of praise. But what I found so interesting and so beautiful was what a reflection of heaven those gatherings were. As people came from all shapes and size and colors and backgrounds, from Asia and Africa and Europe and North and South America, from all kinds of different professions, it was a living picture that the gospel truly is for all types of people and that Jesus is the great equalizer of humanity. Jesus breaks down human barriers to build up divine unity for those who are in his eternal family. And as I was preparing this week and looking at the passage before us in Matthew 8, I reflected on that experience and held it in front of my eyes as I thought about what Jesus is doing as he begins this public ministry in the area of Galilee. He's just come down the mountain after giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's beginning to demonstrate that his messianic ministry is breaking down barriers among human beings as he shows the power of the gospel. And so it's my prayer as we look at this passage this morning that the Lord will open our eyes to see what he has for us, that our hearts would be warmed to the truths and wonders of his word, and that our, our wills would be moved to respond with greater obedience. As is our custom, when we read the word of God, we invite people to stand because it is God who is speaking to us. And so I invite you to stand as we read our passage this morning. Matthew 8, a little bit longer passage than what we have been used to in recent weeks, all the way down to verse 17. And the holy and inspired word of God says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let us pray. Father, in the reading of your word, there is great hope, and in the understanding of it, there is great fruit. 
And so would you guide us this morning by your Holy Spirit to help us understand this word that you have given, that we would be changed thereby because we've spent time in your presence. To that end we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, all of the gospel writers had a whole bunch of material available to them, and each one of them had to decide what they would include in their recounting of the life of the Savior. That's why we see that the order of events is not exactly the same from one gospel to the next. Oftentimes, they weren't writing in strictly chronological order, but were organizing things according to themes that they wanted to emphasize, that they wanted their intended audience to understand about Christ. Now, of course, everything that they say was completely truthful, but they tell it from a slightly different point of view, one from another, and it's good for us to have that different aspect of each of the gospel writers, and then as we put them together, we get a greater picture of who Jesus is. Matthew, for his part, you might remember way back when we first introduced the book, was writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. He was concerned that his fellow Jewish people would have an understanding of who this Messiah is and what he came to do. And so there are things that will be unique and are unique in his gospel because of the intended audience he has. Well, before we really get forward and move into chapter 8, let's briefly review what we have seen so far in the gospel of Matthew. We saw that it began with a listing of the genealogy, which struck us as kind of strange until we recognized that genealogies told important stories. And Matthew chooses the genealogy that he had and how he laid it out to show that Jesus is the true son of Abraham, the true son of David. But he also goes on and says, not only is he a Messiah for Jewish people, right away in chapter 2, we see this worship of Jesus the Christ child with the coming of the Gentiles, the Magi who come and bow at his feet. And then we see John the Baptist who appears on the scene, who is the one sent by God to prepare the way of the Lord baptizing people with a baptism of repentance and cleansing. And Jesus himself undergoes that baptism so as to identify with the people that he came to save. And as he rises up out of the water, he goes into the wilderness where he recapitulates, as it were, the history of Israel succeeding at every turn where Israel had failed in his, her journey through the wilderness. He trusted God and resisted all the temptations of the evil one to show that he was the true son of God, indeed the true prophet, indeed the true Israelite who would obey God at every turn. And as part of his mission, he will lead people out of a greater exodus, not just from the slavery to Pharaoh, but from slavery to sin and death. And then he climbs a mountain with the authority of a prophet and sits down with the authority of a teacher. And he begins to teach what life in the new covenant will look like as he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And that those who enter into the kingdom of heaven will live in a way that is different from those who are still resting in the kingdoms of men. He challenges his, leader, his listeners all along the way, pay attention, take heed, listen, these things are important. And at the end, the crowds themselves, who had been kind of sitting on the periphery as Jesus is teaching his disciples, they themselves are amazed at the authority with which he taught. And then we get to Matthew 8. And as we arrive at the beginning of Matthew 8, we see a, a change in the scenery, as it were. Jesus has been involved and will be involved in a ministry of teaching and preaching and showing power, living out the perfect righteousness required by God. For in the run-up to this sequence of events, at the end of chapter 4, we got a summary. It said Jesus was involved in teaching and preaching and healing. And that was to get us prepared for what was to come. And then Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we see Jesus preaching and teaching. Well, now as we get to chapter 8, we're going to see that third leg where Jesus is going to be showing that he is one who can heal. In fact, over the next couple of weeks, as we look at chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see 10 miracles in all. One tucked inside of another. Separated in sets of three, three sets. And in between each set of miracles, Jesus is going to give a call to discipleship, a call to follow him, a call to consider who he is and what those things would mean for their lives. So with all of that as an introduction to get us ready, if you haven't already, I encourage you to have your sermon outline ready and let's dive into what we see in Matthew chapter 8, where our first major point is a leper can live again. A leper can live again. The text begins by saying, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. We saw last week that they were amazed at his ability to teach. They were amazed at the authority that he taught with. 
and word of mouth would have spread. You need to come and hear this amazing teacher and what he has to say. And crowds are increasing as Jesus is beginning to teach in more and more in his public ministry. And so in this section that we're going to look at today, the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to see three divine healings of three people from very different backgrounds. In their walks of life, in their current status before they met Jesus, they were not qualified to participate in the full worship of Israel and and the community of Israel. So from the get-go, Jesus lets us know that the gospel is for all kinds of people, and Jesus has come to save all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. So our text goes on and says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. He was in a terrible state because being a leper, well, first of all, being a leper would refer to any number of skin diseases. They didn't necessarily have a title for each one. It may include Hansen's disease, as we know leprosy today, but it certainly would include a whole bunch of other skin diseases. But whatever the disease was that this man had, he was not qualified to go into the temple because he was unclean. Moreover, he was not allowed to even interact with society. He was cut off from the people, cut off from the temple, except those who would have had a similar skin condition. He was ceremonially unclean, unqualified to participate in social or religious life. Imagine his situation. He was alone, isolated, starved emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. If we go back to the Old Testament to see what the background would be around this situation of those with these kind of skin diseases, we we get the teaching in Leviticus 13 and 14, which talks about how to diagnose and treat those who have skin diseases and then what the treatment would be. The person would go to the priest. Imagine waking up in the morning and suddenly you have an outbreak on your arm. What fear is starting to come over you as you realize what the cost could be. And with fear and trembling, you go to the priest as he begins to look at your situation. And he has the power to declare you clean or unclean. And he puts you in isolation for a week. If you've ever had the experience of waiting for the results of a biopsy or of a lab result, you can imagine what this man was waiting on. Waiting for several days to find out, will I be clean? Will I be unclean? And if it comes back, you are clean, you're able to rejoin society and imagine the joy that comes with us. But if you hear the dreaded words, you are unclean, your life takes on a dramatic twist. You're now moved away from society. In fact, you're to be so outside of contact with people that if anyone even approached and you heard the sound of their voice, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that your impurity would not be communicated to them. You couldn't go into town. You couldn't go to the market. You couldn't interact in religious ceremonies. You were almost a non-person. And certainly you did not have the benefits of being a full Israelite citizen. That was the situation of this man as he approached Jesus. But what I'm amazed at is he did approach Jesus. What level of desperation had he fallen to? To where he was willing to break even the boundaries and barriers that were put up. But he approached Jesus and when he did, he experienced Jesus' willing compassion. Behold, a leopard came to him and knelt before him. Now, it could be that this was just a sign of respect. It could also be a recognition of the power of Jesus. But the word that is translated as knelt in the ESV is proskuneo, where we get the word to worship. And so there is reverence that is shown in this scene Friends, this man felt guilt, he felt shame, he felt isolation, and he went to Jesus. Perhaps you may be thinking that there is a measure of shame or guilt or something in your life that you have done, and your tendency is to want to isolate yourself. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that same Jesus who received the leopard says, come unto me, and he'll be ready to receive you. He kneels down before the Lord and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Oh, this is a wonderful statement. First, listen to the testimony of faith. He shows amazing awareness of both the power of God and the sovereignty of God. And he attributes it to Jesus. 
There's a subtle reference here to this man understanding that this Jesus is something more than just a man with a power and authority that is superhuman, at least. But notice in the words, he didn't ask to be healed. He asked to be made clean. He was unclean in his current condition. He was not eligible to be with the people of God, to be in the temple. He needed to become ceremonially unclean to do so. He says, Lord, make me clean so that I can be with God and with his people, that I can worship as I desire and as I need. He recognized his need and he went to the source. And I just wonder, when, when you're in a difficulty, whether it's an illness, whether it's a broken relationship, where it's something that's not going right, do you go to Jesus because you desire to be healed? You desire to be set free, to be set free from the spirit of anger or bitterness, to be set free from any disease that you might have? Or do you find a certain identity in your status? You know, in, our, in the psychology of our country over the past number of years, we've actually made a cottage industry of finding your identity and being a victim. But why would we want to find identity in being a victim when in Christ we're to find our identity in the victor? We find our true identity in Jesus Christ. As he appeals to the will of Jesus, this leper speaks better than he knows. He recognizes that ultimately any display of healing or power or forgiveness depends on the will of God, not on the will of people. Of course, we can ask anything from the Lord. Perhaps we should ask anything from the Lord, but we can never demand anything from the Lord. Ask away, ask in faith, ask with hope, but leave room for God to decide according to his wisdom and his will. He is, of course, able to do anything but he's not obligated except to follow his character and his will. He owes us ultimately nothing. And so let our prayers be like the man of the, this leper. Not my will, but yours, O Lord. If you will, you can do it. Your will, not mine. But notice Jesus and his compassion. He responds. And what does he do? He stretched out his hand and touched him. And said, I will be clean. Before he even utters the words, he's already stretched out his hand and touched him. Maybe this was the first time he's experienced human touch for years. We don't know how long he had leprosy. But we all have that hunger for human connection. And what would this have communicated to him as Jesus reached out and touched him? Because in doing so, Jesus did something that technically was not permitted under the law. Because they thought someone that was sick would communicate their sickness and illness to whoever touched him. But here we see Jesus once again, as we have seen all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he reverses the natural order of things. It is not the illness and the sickness that is communicated to Jesus. It is his righteousness and forgiveness and healing that is communicated to the leper. At his touch, we are told, his leprosy is immediately healed. With a word and with a touch, Jesus restores the whole person. With a word. And it was done. And we think of even the creation of the world, how the, the world was created with a word. God said, be, and it was. And if you've had a chance to see any of these images from the James Webb Space Telescope, as they are discovering literally millions upon millions of new galaxies that they had no idea existed. And we serve the one who said, be, and in a moment it was all cast into existence. Jesus is the one through whom all of that was created. He is the agent of creation. When Jesus gives a word, it is done. He spoke and the man was healed. And then he told him, go and obey the law. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, there's several things here. Oftentimes in the Gospels, we'll see Jesus perform a miracle and he say, don't tell anyone. You see, he knows that he's going to be a different type of Messiah than what they were expecting. And he wanted to be in control of the situation. But in this context, 
go to the priest. This is in the region of Galilee. There was some distance between Galilee and the temple. So he's saying, get going, man. You got a trip to make. Go and see the priest so he can examine you and so you can offer the sacrifice. By going to the priest first, by offering the sacrifice, this man would be fulfilling the law. But then also he would have a reason for why he could rejoin society because there would be confirmation of his healing. We see these instructions in, in Leviticus 14. The one healed would go and show himself and then he would be declared clean. It would be almost like that was his certificate of healing that he could then use as, as testimony, be a testimony to the priest, a testimony to the man's family. You're clean. And now offer a gift of gratitude. Think of this man, all that he's gone through, with a word, with a touch, he's cleansed. He now can return to his family. He can return to society. He can return to the temple. Imagine the joy that has come to his life. Jesus reminds us as well that he came to fulfill the law, so he instructed this man to carry out the law. Now, the fact that in Mark's account of the very same story, this man just went out and started telling everybody is no mark against Christ because he did come to fulfill the law, but he also wants to be clear to communicate what kind of Messiah he will be. The crowds wanted a political leader. They wanted a military leader. But Jesus was going to be more than that, offering freedom from a greater burden than just taxes and occupation. He'd set them free from sin and all of its effects. He heals, according to his will, one who was unclean. Are you in Christ today? Have you put your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, the one who would carry away your shame, your guilt, the burden of this life, the fear of death? If you are in Christ this morning, you've received something even greater than physical healing from disease and being unclean. You've been forgiven from the wrath of God and his righteous judgment against sin. Have you experienced that? And then have you taken that step in your life to give thanksgiving and praise as a gift offering of your life? I think that's part of what Paul says when we're continuing to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. First, we see this morning that a leper can live again. Secondly, we see a servant can walk again. As Matthew organizes his account, he puts some different miracles together. After seeing a leper who has been healed, we now see a Roman who comes with a need, and we see compassion, both human and divine. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He shows concern for this man, but there's more to the story. Because you see, a centurion had a position of great influence, but one of the things was he was not allowed while he was in service to Rome was to marry or have a family. Perhaps this servant was the closest thing he had to a family. And he comes and he is worried about his state. He comes with compassion for his servant and he appeals to Jesus to do something. And, and the centurion does not ask Jesus to come to his home. He simply presents his need on behalf of his servant. But what I find interesting, at least in this account as it's given to us in Matthew, Jesus doesn't wait for him to ask, but says that he will come. What's interesting, and the commentators go back and forth over whether this is a statement or a question. I think it's just as plausible where he's asking a question, you want me to come and heal him. Jesus is encountering another barrier, and he's going to overcome it. He won't allow cultural barriers to keep him from ministry. He's willing to go to this Gentile's house, but he wants it to be made clear what the implications are. And in response, the centurion just says, just speak the word. The centurion would be a Gentile. He would have 100 men under his control. All of them would be Gentiles. He understands that Jewish leaders were not allowed to enter into the homes of Gentiles. He doesn't want to put Jesus in a difficult position, so he offers an incredible response. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. 
but only say the word and my servant will be healed. He recognizes his unworthiness in the presence of Christ and recognizes the worthiness of Jesus. Now, if we're honest this morning, and we have an understanding as God the Holy Spirit has given it to us of the depth of our sin, of the depth of our shame, of the depth of our brokenness, this is our testimony. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. The gospel is good news, my friends. We are unworthy, but we come to Christ and say, just say the word and I'll be healed. The gospel continues to go forward. In fact, as we get to the book of Acts, we see a very similar situation. The apostle Peter is sent to the home of another Roman centurion, and he's reticent about going to be with these unclean Gentiles. He's still learning what the impact of the gospel will be on his own life. And so God appears to him in a vision and says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. And so Peter goes to the house of the centurion, and he preaches the gospel. And people are saved. They're born again. And the people are amazed at the response. And they say, wow, then to even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Salvation is all of God from beginning to end. It's a divine action of God. And if he doesn't grant that repentance, it won't be given. But when he does, there's this great response. And people from all kinds of backgrounds can come to Christ. The centurion understood authority. He's standing in the presence of Jesus. He says, just give the word. There's no need for touching. There's no need for a ritual. There's no need to even travel to be with the sick man. Just give the word. And in the verses that follow that are on the screen behind me, he says, all I've got to say is go and they go and come and they come and do and they do. And so what is he saying? He says, Jesus, I have authority over men and my actions with a word. You, Jesus, I recognize you have authority over disease and sickness with a word. I have command and authority over men without even being in their presence. You, Lord, can do the same thing from a distance with just the word. You can bring healing. This centurion is another great testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He believes that Jesus can do it with a word. What are you facing this morning? The challenges, the difficulties, life circumstances. Do you believe that Jesus can reverse your situation with a word? Or are you just playing a game? Because he can reverse with a word if he wills. But are you going to him with it? Jesus is amazed at the response of this man. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, he'll go on and say, I've been in this ministry and I haven't seen this faith anywhere else. And then he'll go on and explain the nature of the kingdom of heaven and says in essence that heaven is a party. Truly I tell you with no one in Israel have I found such faith. When Jesus says I tell you, he's speaking something with divine authority. We do well to listen. And he, he mentions to the people that have followed him, you see this guy's faith? I haven't seen this faith, such faith in Israel. Are our lives marked by that kind of faith? Or you just believe Jesus. We take him at his word. That with a word he can reverse all things. Then Jesus gives a picture of the kingdom of heaven and those who will be there. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. People are going to come from all over to recline at table with the patriarchs. That phrase, recline at table, is loaded with meaning. It means having special communion with God at his celebration feast. And this idea was prominent among the Jews. They looked forward to the day when they would recline at table. We get one example in Isaiah chapter 26. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. 
And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's our hope, friends, of being in the presence of God and this eternal feasting where we declare God is our salvation. God is our hope. Let us rejoice and wait in him. What wonderful words. Kind of reminds us of another image we see in Revelation 19 where we are, to- we are told about the, the wedding feast of the Lamb, which is the celebration of the union between Christ and all the people that he has redeemed. Oh, how I look forward to that day with longing expectation of sitting at the master's table and feasting with him. But Jesus reminds us here that those who will be seated at that table may just not be the ones that we anticipate them to be. It's a reminder that salvation is always of the Lord and never a result of anything that man does because we can't, there's no boasting in the gospel except in the Lord. We told, we're told that Abraham would be a promise to many nations. And as we follow the line all through the scriptures, we see that Jesus is the ultimate seed of Abraham, the savior of all who believe from every tribe and nation and family and language. And so Matthew, as he is putting together the gospel and telling us the story of Jesus, is making clear that the gospel is open to all, including Gentiles. And so even throughout this book, written to help the Jews to understand who Jesus is, we have vignette after vignette of even Gentiles who come and believe. And many will come, having heard the voice of Jesus, having had their hearts warmed by the Spirit of God, who will bow down in faith and repentance and say, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. But while many will come from east and west and recline at the table, Jesus warns them, says that the sons of darkness of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, many of the Jewish leaders thought that they were automatic recipients of the kingdom, and they will find that they are not there. They assumed that because of their ethnicity, they would be there. They saw themselves as the sons of the kingdom. And Jesus says, many of those same ones will be thrown into outer darkness, away from the bright lights of the messianic celebration. This is an image of hell, of being alone, cast away from the presence of God. And in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There were those who mourn over missed opportunities and who missed out on the kingdom and grieve over their sin that has caused them to be separated from God forever. But there are others who will gnash their teeth in utter rage that God would dare send them to hell. For no one can ever presume upon the grace of God. Jesus makes clear that the kingdom of heaven will be populated by those who are saved by grace and not by race. They're justified by faith in Christ alone, not by virtue of their birthplace or their heritage or their ancestry or their religion. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven is by faith alone in Jesus as the Messiah, but it is open and available to all, not just restricted to particular groups. So after Jesus gives this startling statement, speaking with great authority about who he is, what does he say to the centurion? Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. At that moment, with a word from Jesus, the servant was healed. This Gentile who is thought to not be eligible for the mercies of God experiences his mercy, his healing, his forgiveness. And with a word, though not physically present, Jesus was able to drive out the sickness and heal the man who would have been miles away at that time. Jesus has all authority. He's going to show it more and more throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Authority over disease, authority over demons, authority over all religious authorities, authority over the earth itself. That 
is the Jesus that we're privileged to serve. And notice that in this account, no mention is made of the faith of the paralyzed servant. The only faith that is mentioned here is on the part of the centurion. It's as if the centurion stood in the gap on behalf of his servant and with compassion and mercy pleaded with Jesus to do something, knowing that Jesus had the authority to do so, and Jesus did. Might it be, my friends, that we also need to stand in the gap for those around us? Who are those that are away from Christ? Who are those that need a divine intervention? Who are those that need his healing touch? Who are those that need his provision? It might be that your faith will be the instrument God will use to operate in their lives and bring about something great. Don't ever give up. I prayed for the salvation of my father for over 30 years. The Lord saved me in 1980. My father died in 2014. But he died a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, having come to faith the last 15 to 18 months of his life. Died with a confession of faith. Don't give up. Stand in the gap. And plead with the Father. Plead with the Son. Plead with the Spirit on behalf of those that are dear to you. We have seen a leper who can live again. A servant who can walk again. Thirdly, we see a lady who can serve again. He's healed an outsider, a leper, who can now enter back into fellowship with the people of God. He touched him, cleansed him, showed compassion, restored his humanity. He healed a servant of a Gentile without seeing or touching him, merely giving a word, and now this Gentile is able to enter into fellowship with God's people. Jesus has overcome ritual impurity. He's overcome cultural impurity. There remains one miracle yet that he's going to perform that we see here in Matthew 8. And so he gives the healing touch. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Do you know that in the ancient city of Capernaum, archaeologists have discovered the remains and foundation of what they believe to be Peter's house? The Bible is true in all it says. We have no need to fear what, the, what will happen when the archaeologist digs into the ground. We have no need to fear what the James Webb Space Telescope will find as it peers into outer space. Our God speaks truth, and his word will endure. This was a real house in which Jesus performed a real, real miracle in space and time. So Peter's mother-in-law is there. There's no mention of a husband, which is probably why she's there. And notice something. Peter's one of the apostles, one of the disciples, one of the followers, is he not? Now we're going to hear more about his calling as we move through Matthew. But notice that while being called by Jesus to follow him, this did not mean that he abandoned his home. This did not mean that he abandoned his family. Of course, Jesus Christ is always to be first in our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. Peter was married. Peter had a mother-in-law. Peter had a real house. He did not neglect his family in the service of the Lord. But you know what else the service of the Lord did? It did not spare him from disease coming into his home. His mother-in-law had a fever, which itself in those days was seen as the illness. There's many reasons why people, a person may have fever. Many were considered dangerous, but to have a fever in those days was considered a very dangerous condition. So Jesus comes in. He discovers that she's lying ill with a fever. So we look briefly at the three stories. The leper takes the initiative and comes to Jesus. The centurion takes the initiative and comes to Jesus on behalf of his servant. Here Jesus takes the initiative. He's a compassionate healer. He's a compassionate savior. It says in the text, he touched her hand. And the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. The fever left her immediately, apparently with no after effects. You know, sometimes we get sick, we get a fever, we get a flu, we get a cold, we get COVID, we recover, but there's that period afterwards where we're wiped out. Look at this sweet lady. What'd she do? She jumped right up and began to serve Jesus. You know, we get the word deacon from this verse. It comes from the word for service. 
A deacon is a servant. Indeed, all of us are servants. And she jumped up and began to serve him in a grateful response. What a great response we see to the Lord on her behalf. We don't know what she did. We'll find out one day. Did she prepare a special meal? Did she get out her home-cooked recipe of something that she could whip up for the Savior? Special dessert? We don't know. She just poured out her service to the Lord. So here's the question. Have you seen God answer prayers in your life? Have you seen Jesus reverse situations in your life? And are you a servant of his as a result? Are you giving thanks, pouring out your heart in service to him for what he has done for you? And are you joyful in doing it? Do you see the grace of Jesus in this story? This woman who was ill would not be allowed to go into the inner parts of the temple, maybe not even attend temple worship at all. And here is Jesus, touches her, restores her. My friends, there is no one that is outside the reach of God's grace. Jesus is the great healer. And that brings us to our fourth point this morning. Jesus, the healer. In these stories, we see that Jesus has broken down the barriers of purity and ethnicity and gender. All three of these people were excluded from full participation in Israel's worship. But now they can enter fully into the worship of the one true God through Jesus Christ. He has broken down the barriers. I think we have here a clear example, clear examples, if you will, of what a decade or so later, a little more, the Apostle Paul would write as he wrote to the churches in Galatia. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The gospel is available to all kinds of people, and Jesus is going to save all kinds of people. He's the great equalizer as he sweeps people into the kingdom of heaven because of his grace and his power. All must come the same way, by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not a result of race or physical birth, but through the new birth that is wrought by the Spirit of God. And we will see this more and more as we go through the gospel according to Matthew. And in the last few verses of our passage, we see that he has spiritual authority. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all those who were sick. Now, if we put that parallel to the account that we see in Mark, we know that this happened after the Sabbath, which is why they came in the evening. And they're bringing him people who are sick with all kinds of illnesses and spiritual oppression. And notice that Jesus healed them with a word. Not a ritual, not a performance, not a power encounter, not a circus act that we see in so many of these so-called TV evangelists. He cast them out with a word because his word is powerful. The word itself, casting out, is an active verb. It's even a violent word. He threw those demons out of those people. He has authority over them. And what we have here is a sign of what he will do ultimately one day. He casts demons out of people and one day he will cast them into hell. And we will rejoice over their demise. Not only does he have spiritual authority, but he is divine fulfillment. He showed compassion. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He bore our illnesses, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew wants us to see clearly that these actions of Jesus were the fulfillment of prophecy. And so he quotes directly from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. The context of Isaiah 53 is of a Messiah who would bear the sins of his people and of the effects of sin and bring healing and forgiveness and salvation. Jesus took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. We sing that, don't we? 
He bore our sins and our sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary. He suffered and died alone. Let's hear the words as they were given by God the Holy Spirit. 700 years before Christ, coming from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ show that he bore our sins and paid for them and will take away all of their effects. And what we have here is the anticipation first taste of, of, if you will, that the passion of Christ will begin to roll back the effects of sin for which Jesus came to die. Because ultimately all sin, I'm sorry, all suffering is a result of sin. If man had not fallen into sin, there would be no pain or suffering or illness or grief or death. And Jesus will take care of it all, but not necessarily all of it in this life. We can know forgiveness, peace, comfort, joy, encouragement, steadfastness in this life, but we will still suffer and die. We may be blessed by God to experience a healing, but ultimately all healing will come one day. We can pray for healing now. We can believe that he can heal now. We rejoice when we see the healing, but if he doesn't, we trust him that his timing is perfect. And that he's still with his people, going with them through the challenges and troubles of life. It might be that the best thing for us is to go through suffering so that we learn the intimacy that we could have with Christ. Instead of his just coming along and sweeping it all away and we continue off as if somehow we just deserve another blessing upon blessing. The worst thing in the world is not suffering. The worst thing is to miss out on intimacy and fellowship and comfort from the Lord. Because of what Jesus has done, we are a people who hope in the resurrection of the body. Our hope is life, new life in the new heavens and the new earth. And Revelation 21, 4 says that one day, all of the effects of sin will be done away with. There would be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. That is our hope. And Jesus did it is doing it, and he will do it. And so we keep a proper perspective. Death and disease are not the worst thing. The worst thing is to reject Jesus. Matthew wants his Jewish readers to see that Jesus is fulfilling messianic promises that will affect many, that will bring many from all walks of life as Jesus calls and heals and saves Men and women, Jew and Gentile, leader and follower, clean and unclean, all can come. So come to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Every day come to Christ and live for him. Be in the inner circle one day of the light of the kingdom of heaven. Because the alternative is remain in the outer darkness forever. Next week we'll follow up with some of these miracles that Jesus has performed, looking at his call to discipleship, of what it means to follow him, that it costs more than anything, but it is worth more than anything that we have in life. But until we get to that point, what are some things we can learn from today's lesson? Because Jesus removes our shame and makes us clean, we will come and worship him joyfully as a way of life. Christians should be the happiest of people. They have the Holy Spirit living within them, and his fruit is joy, 
They have the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. They have been set free from sin and death. They've been set free from the plagues of this life. If your shame has been taken away, if your guilt has been taken away, it should show. Secondly, because Jesus removed all barriers to the gospel, we will offer the gospel freely to all the Lord brings our way. Yes, God is completely in control. I believe it firmly. But he uses us in the process somehow for his glory. And we just offer the gospel to all, calling them to repent and believe. Thirdly, because Jesus is capable of all, we will go to him on behalf of others and present their needs to him. We can be prayer warriors standing in the gap on behalf of those who are in need. Fourthly, because Jesus does many great things for us, we will serve him joyfully with all that he has given us. You cannot give God, but you can certainly have a joyful life trying to serve him and use everything for his glory. And lastly, because Jesus is powerful in word and deed, we can trust him with every situation in our lives. The Lord is good. Jesus is a great Savior. And he says, all who hear my voice, come. Will you come? Let us pray. Our Father and our God, as we turn to you now, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our only hope. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is all powerful. And oh God, thank you for the privilege, the joy, the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and Master and King. But even as we rejoice in that, Father, would you remind us of our need to daily bow before him and say, not my will, but yours. To daily confess our sins and say, oh God, have mercy. To daily trust you for strength to do your will. And would you fill us with your joy that would be a pleasing offering and sacrifice in your sight and a blessing to those around us. Father, we turn to you. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.